Green Teacher's main office is located on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabek, Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga peoples. This territory is covered by the Williams Treaty. You've got, you know, the different levels, but then also you've got the different textures, the tastes, the smells, the colors, but, you know, I think especially the tastes. And why not over to the right of the pollinator garden, you know, have a food forest garden. And again, it doesn't need to be big, but if you have some representative native plants, there's so many animal jokes. I don't know if I'm going to be able to come up with many plant jokes, <laughs> but we'll see. When you can bring food forest gardening into areas that are underserved, right? How, how empowering that can be for those communities. Testing, testing. Hey, I'm Ian. And I'm Sophia. And welcome to Talking with Green Teachers. This is the Environmental Education Podcast, where we discuss recent developments, big ideas, and creative approaches to teaching green. In this episode... You know, just start experimenting. If you're interested, just start experimenting with a small garden project. You know, it's just a, you know, potting some strawberries or maybe it's planting a cherry sapling, a couple raspberry bushes, some rhubarb and some white clover and just kind of seeing how they, you know, how they all work together. And just, you know, observe these plants through the seasons and do a little more research and, and just dive in, dig into it little by little or dive in all together, which would however, you know, it's comfortable for people to do it. That's so exciting. It's like, I can't wait to get outside. You approach the lush patch of vegetation that used to be a monoculture of manicured lawn. Now, it is a multi-layered food forest garden. Though you tend to it for a sustainable harvest of food, it has largely been left to nature, making it a manifestation of permaculture. Wendy Fashan is a practitioner of food forest gardening. To go along with her work with the Story Walking Radio Hour and numerous other environmental education initiatives. She joined Ian to discuss the intricacies of food forest gardening, how educators can leverage it for impactful learning and its connections with cooperative learning. Food forest gardening is a form of permaculture. Let's start with the definition of permaculture. Okay, permaculture. Well, probably the best way is to go to Bill Mullison, who is actually credited with coining that term permaculture. And he did this back in 1978. And I'm going to, you know, tell you verbatim how he defines it. Okay. The conscious design and maintenance of agriculturally productive systems, which have the diversity, stability, and resilience of natural ecosystems. It is the harmonious integration of the landscape with people providing their food, energy, shelter, and other material and non-material needs in a sustainable way. So that formal definition, how I would you know, describe permaculture is kind of farming or gardening that incorporates the use of mostly perennial and self-propagating plants. So it's going to take time to establish it. But unlike, say, a vegetable garden where you're growing squash and beans and corn and all that kind of thing, you're not going to need to reseed every year or re-prepare the toil every year. Mm -hmm. You're going to hopefully do it once 
and then it's going to start taking care of itself. Now, it's not to say it's not going to be any work at all. You know, you are, you're going to find that certain plants don't do so well, and so you might have to change a few things within the garden. And there are, there are certain maintenance things, pruning and so forth, right. that, that have to happen with something like that. But the idea is to reduce the amount of work, let nature do the work instead, and then arrange all the plants so they support one another in a systematic way. And food forest gardening is, I guess you could call it a branch of this. There's the first of probably many nature puns. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Apologies. Sorry, not sorry for the nature (laughs) puns. But uh, what is your definition of food forest gardening? A food forest gardening, I would say it incorporates permacultural principles in designing a garden. And it's going to be a garden that's going to have multiple layers of edible perennial plants. So, you know, in essence, that's what it is. And the whole purpose of this, creating a garden in this way, is that you're going to maximize productive use of space. You're going to be using all different levels or layers as opposed to a regular garden garden where you've got your little rows all together and they're they're really all in one layer as opposed to multiple layers. (laughs) So there's sort of that aspect of it. And the, as I said, allowing nature to do the work for you. So in terms of layers, you're talking like overstory, understory, herb and shrub layer, fungal layer. And of course there's the underground part, which is vines, vines. layer, ground cover. So yeah, you've got all these different layers and they're working together. So the overstory is going to provide shade so that things don't get too much sun and get dried out. But then the overstory is also helping collect rainwater and manage the rainwater because those trees will absorb some of that water through their leaves. But then when there's too much water, it will get channeled down to the plants below. And then just also the fact that they're providing shade makes your evaporation, it's going to slow down evaporation from the soil below. But then also you've got these trees that are dropping leaves in the fall. And they're creating a mulch, a natural mulch. And that's also going to help retain the water. So you've got that tree doing big job. We've got all these other plants down in other layers doing similar jobs or other jobs. You know, they each have something to contribute to the whole system. And one of the understory plants that you could use is mulberry. And I'm assuming it's the red mulberry in your area. Yeah, I believe it's it's the red mulberry in our area. So just before we started recording, you told me a really good story about a red mulberry. So I would love for you to share that with our listeners. All right. Sure. My husband and I just recently had a food forest plan done up for our front yard. Okay. Our front yard, it's a teardrape shop, a tear, teardrop shape, excuse me. <laughs> and it's mostly grass, but in the center are some ornamental shrubs. And the whole idea behind, behind the food forest is to get rid of these ornamental shrubs and instead plant something that's going to be productive, you know, something you can eat as opposed to just something that's just going to sit there and be pretty. Well, the ornamental shrubs, the ewes have been decimated by the deer. The rhododendrons have gotten old and they're not doing so well. The azalea does well some years and not others. And other things are starting to take it over in there. So I'm like, okay, we're getting rid of these. So my first job, and this was last Friday, I'm like, okay, I got in there with the loppers and the clippers and I just started cutting things away to get at the roots and then figure out, well, what am I going to do with those roots? But as I was cutting away the azalea, I came across actually not one, but two mulberry trees just right there kind of growing up through the middle. And it just so happens that the food forest plan that was designed for us has a cherry tree, some fig trees and a mulberry tree in it, pretty much right in that very space. And I was like, wow, I don't have to go buy a mulberry tree because <laughs> as Providence has it, here, here it is. 
And this morning we were talking to our designer about mulberry. He has several mulberries in, in his yard. And he was just saying, you know, mulberry, it's one of those things you're not going to find in a grocery store because they don't ship well, ship and store well. Mm. They're the kind of fruit that you really want to have fresh, like right off the tree. So that's why you don't see that kind of thing in a store. But you get that in your yard and he's made, you know, I don't know how many trays of mulberry crumble from all the mulberries that he's gotten from his trees. And he'll just go out there and grab a handful and have them for a snack. And just the lower part of the tree, he said the upper part of the tree, he can't reach, but eventually those drop down. If you put a plastic on the ground, you can capture some of those mulberries as they drop to the ground. You know, it's just actually, it's, it's so amazing to me. You know, this is a whole new learning experience. And I'm going to be learning as we dive into this. I'm going to be learning about all these really cool plants that I never thought about before. Yeah, super exciting. Talking with Green Teachers is produced by Green Teacher, a registered charity in Canada that has been enhancing environmental education since 1986. By taking out a subscription, you can join our global network of passionate environmental educators, receive each issue of our quarterly magazine, and gain exclusive access to our vast archive of webinars and magazine back issues. All proceeds go back into the organization to support our vision of helping each successive generation of young learners become more environmentally literate than the last. To learn more, visit greenteacher.com. A mature pink cherry makes up the overstory of this garden. Given the rich soil below, it's no surprise that the tree stretches more than 10 meters into the air. So in terms of the education potential of food forest gardening, particularly K-12 educators, mm -hmm. what opportunities do you see there? Oh, wow. I see so many opportunities. I think it's endless. I see it as an experiential learning opportunity, and I can envision combining research reading and descriptive journal writing to tell the story of a project that is happening on school grounds. It doesn't have to be a big project necessarily, but within that, there's a lot going on. The students would be creating a self-sustaining ecosystem. In other words, they'd be creating their own forest, but a food-producing forest. They'd be observing plant life cycles throughout the year, throughout the seasons. You know, you'd be seeing how different plants self-propagate or how they may be spread by rhizomes or, you know, all the, all the different ways that plants, you know, spread themselves around. So the students are actually able to see that and study that. And I think no matter what time of year, I mean, even I know like I know a lot of school gardening programs have not been successful because so much grows in the summer. That's the thing. And students are gone for the summer, right? But you can take plants like rhubarb, okay, which starts growing in April. You've got the harvestable leaf stems by May. And just as school's ending, you're going to see the flowers coming up and you might even get a chance to see the, the flowers dry into seeds. You might, within the spring, get to see a good part of that plant's life cycle. So I think there are plants you can incorporate at different times of year. And each season, the plant's in a different cycle. So, you know, that's just sort of one example. I think there's a lot of lessons that can be incorporated here in, in land and water conservation. You know, I talked earlier about that tree and how that helps with water retention in, in a number of different ways. 
And if you think about that, when you're doing just a regular garden, you know, with your peas and your tomatoes and your lettuces, that requires a lot of watering. And how much water do we have as a resource? Whereas you look at something like a food forest, it can require a lot less water and conserve water. So those kinds of lessons. And then another one, and one thing I want to mention about the learning opportunity is just the multi-sensory opportunity because you have this whole diversity of plants. You've got, you know, the different levels, but then also you've got the different textures, the tastes, the smells, the colors, but, you know, I think especially the tastes, you know, what a great thing to be able to grow something and then eventually be able to taste it. Yes, multi-sensory learning is the height of effective nature, interpretation, education, whatever you want to call it, and it's always extremely impactful. I guess the prerequisite to all of this is having a food forest garden on the school grounds, and this might not be a reality for a good number of schools. So if that is the case, what are some starting points that educators would need to know about for getting this kind of thing started? Okay, well, I think... There are you know, different ways to go about it. I mean, a food forest could even be created in pots. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen a lot of work done with just container gardening. Yeah, small scale. So you know, there's definitely that. Also, there could be some way that the community could create a community garden, whether it's actually on the school grounds or not on the school grounds or someplace nearby where, you know, maybe even it's a city park or something like that. Or it could just be that students could take plants or seeds pop them, watch them grow, and then take them home and create their own little food forest. I mean, you could create a little forest in like, you know, five by five square yards. It doesn't need to be a great big forest. Of course, a great big forest, in the, you know, on the school grounds would be ideal. It really would be the absolute ideal, right? That'd be, <laughs> be the dream. dream. It would absolutely be the dream. What about at other non-traditional settings, sort of outside of K-12? to I, I ask just because we do have listeners who might work at parks or museums or nature centers, et cetera. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of that would depend on the park or the museum, the kind of grounds that are available for something like this. That's a really, a really good question. I think a really critical part of this kind of education, though, I've got to say, is being able to the hands-on piece of it. Right. I just think that's so important. Whether it's planting seeds in a, it just is something as simple as planting seeds in a pot. Well, it could be just like tasting things that have been grown locally. I think the hands-on piece is, is where students are really going to learn and really find the satisfaction for it. I could envision at, say, a nature center or maybe outside at a museum, it sort of being like a living display. Well, yeah, a lot of museums have pollinator gardens outside. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, you see those all over the place. And why not over to the right of the pollinator garden, you know, have a food forest garden. And again, it doesn't need to be big, but if you have some representative native plants, which is entirely possible and easy to do, and you get, you know, something representing every layer, some, something representing every aspect from pollinator attractor to nitrogen fixer to nutrient accumulator to aromatic pest deterrent, you just get those different kinds of functions and levels going in one garden space. And it's a lot to talk about and it's a lot to teach about just right there. Yeah, it sort of does all the work for the educator or the interpreter. <laughs> it kind of does. <laughs> That's the real beauty of it, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Did you know that a subscription to Green Teacher includes access to our massive and fast growing archive of 500 plus ready to use activities, lesson plans, and articles? The recording of each new webinar goes into the archive too, 
and there are 120 of those and counting. To save you time, because educators never have enough of it, right? Everything is organized by topic and age group. Learn more by visiting greenteacher.com slash subscribe. We also have special rates available for bulk orders from your school, board, district, faculty of ed, or organization. As always, all proceeds go back into the nonprofit. The understory consists of several service berries and a lone Canada plum. Leafcutter bees buzz around the plum shrub. Cedar waxwings are regular visitors to the service berries, though you don't see or hear any at the moment. Well, let's talk about nature drawing. And full disclosure, I am a nature artist, so... Oh, okay. I didn't know. You'll forgive me if I geek out on this part of the discussion, but okay. you have taught two different nature drawing programs. So Actually, I've taught four. Oh, taught four, huh? Two were endangered species, so it was like all over the world. But then after that, we wanted to bring it into where we are in Rhode Island or New England. We wanted to bring it into species that were local that the kids could really identify with. Yeah. So, you know, the, the two I want to talk about a little bit just before I launch into the back end of the food forest and how that ties in is we developed a program with vernal pool animals. Okay. And then we did another one, pond and river animals. And with each of these programs, we selected six animals, almost or seven animals, much like, you know, with a food forest, I would select seven layers, but, you know, we have seven animals and, you know, they represented Gosh, we, with each unit, we'd have like an amphibian, a reptile, an insect, a crustacean, a mammal, a bird. So we're getting all the different kinds of animals that live within that particular ecosystem. And then talking not just about the specifics of each of those species, but how they interact with each other. And as the kids sit and draw, and we, we actually have been teaching the, this class virtually online, although you could teach it in person. And we usually have an artist from RISD School of Design actually doing the drawing with a, it's a special camera that looks like this. The kids can see full on their screen, the different drawing steps while they're in their own sketchbooks drawing. But as we draw, I will also be co-teaching and I'll talk about the detail being drawn at that particular point in time, whether it's the way a beak looks or a tail feather looks or the way the feet are webbed and talk about how the adaptation of that particular detail for this animal and the way that it lives. So the kids start to, you know, do their drawing and get an idea why they're drawing it this way or why they're drawing it that way and really get into the detail. Yeah. So I guess the question is like how it all builds into food forest gardening then. So yeah, how it all, but it's like, it's all one ecosystem, how they work together. We, I just want to mention, we also talk about the challenges within that Fernal pool ecosystem of things like deforestation, fragmentation, mm. pesticides. So at the end of each class, we talk about, okay, what's challenging this animal? What's this animal's story? You know, because we want the kids to be able to then take those drawings and share those stories with their family or with other people. We also had some gallery displays. So that, that's been fantastic. So this whole idea then with the food forest is rather than plants, and I've always done animal drawings. I love plants though. I love drawing plants. Rather than looking at animals, we're looking at plants, okay? So, and we'd be looking at plants at different layers. And again, we get into the details of that plant. Why is the leaf, you know, this way? Why are the roots, you know, spread out this way? Or why are the roots deep? Talking about the different features of the plant and how that helps them adapt and do the function that they need to do. And the other thing I really like about the idea of doing the plant 
nature drawing is with animals, we're looking at photographs. We're having the kids look at photographs and just drawings we sketch out in plants. You can actually give the kids a sample. Yeah, it's live. Of a plant. And they can touch it. They can turn it different angles, right? It's live. Yeah. And, and they can really look at the detail themselves. They can flip the leaf over and see what it's like on the back versus the front. I mean, just all of that. And you can also draw plants during different seasons. So you could draw a seed pod of the same plant, you know, maybe a couple months later, you draw the, the flower and then draw the fruit when, when it finally comes to fruit. But it allowed the, that kind of nature drawing would allow the kids to follow the actual life cycle of the plant. And so I, I just think that that gets me excited. I think that's, that's really fun. And I love the idea of doing a, a phenological approach to it, of doing it through the season. So right from when the first shoots come up and as you say, going through flower, seed, fruit, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, going through the layers at the same time, mm. you know, a, a tree leaf as opposed to maybe a fungi, okay, or, you know, a ground cover as simple as a clover or a ground nut, you know, it just there's so many cool plants, right? Oh, yeah. There's so many different ways you could do that. What do you think it is about nature drawing specifically that just makes it so impactful? Because you get feedback. And again, I'm maybe projecting a bit here because I love doing it. But yeah, yeah. Frequently, you hear people just saying, I really, really love that activity. It really helped me see and understand the plants. It seems to send people into a different mindset. I, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on just why it is so powerful? Oh, definitely. I mean, gosh, you really get into, it's almost meditative, wouldn't you say? I mean, do you find when you do that kind of drawing, when you're observing something and drawing, it's, you can lose yourself in it. Yeah, absolutely. But you also, you just see like every detail. I mean, you start to draw, first you draw the basic outline, and then you're trying to get a little more detail with each, you know, as you work through drawing, you're looking for more and more and more detail. <laughs> and it's just like, at the end, you're like, wow, you know, this is, this is a really cool plant. Uh, the kids love the drawing. It's so receptive to the animal drawing classes. I mean, they just, they're practically in tears when the sessions end, you know, the seven weeks is gone and they're like, they don't want it to end. <laughs> they're, they're ready and eager to sign up for the next one. So, you know, the kids just really love it. We tell a lot of jokes and we make it a lot of fun too. So you could, there's so many animal jokes. I don't know if I'm going to be able to come up with many plant jokes, <laughs> but we'll see. Yeah, there's a few good ones out there. Yeah. I know some yeah. good fungi jokes, like the, he's a fun guy, but that's about the oldest, worst yeah. fungi joke in the book. <laughs> yes. Yes. I did. Yeah. I did a drawing program with second graders and we went down to a fishing cove and they gathered plants in the cove and we brought them back to the classroom and had them draw the plants and second graders they just oh they loved it and the drawings they did were fabulous and you know it was there in their own backyard of the school it's very local and place-based i think maybe that's yeah. part of the strength of that activity as well yes yes hi there you might recognize my voice from such podcasts as the one you're listening to right now. Speaking of podcasts, Green Teacher is involved in another one. It's called Earthy Chats, and you know what? How about I let my co-host, Jade Harvey Barrel, tell you the rest? Take it away, Jade. Thanks, Ian. Hello, all. Indeed, we'd love for you to join us for Earthy Chats, our new podcast where we've come together to spend time picking the brains of the brightest and best in environmental education. 
Like busy bees, we'll be cross-pollinating ideas across our range of interests and knowledge bases to give you the inside scoop on what's new, who's doing it, and how you can do it too. All of the experts featured on the show have resources available Canada-wide in the Outdoor Learning Store. That's Canada's non-profit outdoor resource store. You can check out the range of educator and student resources available at www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. So whether you're a teacher, educator, parent, or just a general nature geek, there'll be something for you to sink your teeth into. Did I cover everything there, Ian? Definitely. Thanks, Jade. So yeah, Earthy Chats. Check it out on your favorite podcast app. The most prominent plants in the herb layer are the brambles, blackberries and raspberries. Several riverbank grape vines meander among the thorn-covered canes. So you've mentioned to me that there is a tie-in with food forest gardening and corporative learning. So first, let's start with the definition of corporative learning. Okay. Corporative learning is when corporations become engaged with teaching at local schools. So before I jump into the food forest garden, I'll just talk, you know, an example where I was doing an after-school program, or no, it was a summer, well, it started a summer program. We, we found a whole, there were a whole bunch of recycled boxes out in front of the school, and we ended up taking them to create, oh gosh, kids can get so creative with cardboard boxes, it's unbelievable. <laughs> we're going to create a puppet stage with them, but then the kids had their own plan and started to create houses and communities and, you know, they just take them apart and putting the boxes together in different ways. And they could have just spent hours doing that. We did it outside under the trees. And then lunch was indoor time after lunch. And they wanted to bring all the boxes indoors and keep doing it in the cafeteria. It was <laughs> fabulous. But I said, okay, so how, how do we, how are boxes made? And we took a walking field trip to a manufacturer, 50-minute walk from the school. And the kids got a tour of a box manufacturing plant. And they got to see how the paper comes in in the big pallets and then how the paper gets bailed and recycled and goes out, gets packed on the same trucks and goes out. And then this same corporation came into the fourth grade classrooms and they did a PowerPoint presentation about how paper is made. But a big part of that presentation was how for every tree harvested to make paper, they plant five trees to replace the tree that's been used. And so the kids taking cardboard cartons from their milk at lunchtime, we ended up planting white pine saplings in those so they could take them home and then put those in their own garden. So seeing this whole cycle of plants and manufacturing was pretty cool. But the idea that this corporation came in to teach the kids and get involved with the kids. So I think inviting local groups to tour facilities or you know visiting or having people visit to present PowerPoints on different things and where this would come in with food foresting is there's a lot of corporations where they want their employees to volunteer. Right. And, you know, that's one way, you know, it could be a local bank that has employees that love to garden. It could be a paper box manufacturer, as I talked about, who wants to help with replenishing trees. It could be a landscape company or, or a local nursery. It could be an apple grower. And there's so many ways you can bring businesses in to participate in the education of the kids. And I think another neat thing about that is it shows kids, you know, after school, you know, you go on to a career 
it's kind of like you see people that have take you know can take these things and they do them as a job, right? Yeah. So yeah. You know, I, I think that's where I see corporate learning coming into play with food forest gardening because oh gosh, there's just so many different people that you know professions that can help make that kind of thing happen. And they can bring funding, they can bring volunteers, they can bring the knowledge that they may have within their particular business. So that's what I mean by corporative learning. And I think a lot of schools today, I think particularly the funding schools are short on funding. And if you can find a corporation that will bring in the volunteers, the knowledge and the funding, you know, what a great situation that could be. Yeah. And that goes back to what we talked about earlier. If you want to do food forest gardening at a larger scale, but you don't have the resources to do it, boom, corporative learning. Right. Exactly. You know, there might even be corporations that have a, their own food forest garden nearby within walking distance of a school. Yeah. Right. Or they or they say, hey, you know what, we're going to put one in for our employees. But hey, bring the kids on over. You know, we'll show you what this is all about. Who knows? You know, the possibilities, I think, are endless. And I do know that Food Forest Abundance, they are working. It's a fairly new organization, but they're amazing. The work that they're doing and they want to get corporations more involved with communities. And another big piece of this food forest thing is, you know, looking over the past two years, we've been looking at challenges with food security, right? And supply chain issues. And, you know, local food is certainly a more environmentally preferred option to, you know, getting stuff from California, right? Of course. So there's kind of all these things, I think, particularly the food security piece. When you can bring food forest gardening into areas that are underserved, right? How, how empowering that can be for those communities. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, do you have any final advice for aspiring food forest gardeners? Oh, okay. Yeah, I would, a couple things, just, you know, just start to learn about food forest gardening. You can listen to my recent Story Walking Radio Hour podcast. Just go to storywalking.com. And right there on my homepage, I'll be adding one, you know, another one to that hopefully soon. But I'm kind of laying them all out there. Just, you know, you can listen while you're driving in a car, fixing dinner out, walking, whatever. Just download the podcast like what you're doing, you know, with all the yeah. podcasts that you provide. It's just it's kind of the same thing. And you know, read books on permaculture. There's some great books on permaculture and food forest gardening out there. One that I just finished reading is called The Home Scale Forest Garden. I love this book, the way it's organized practical and realistic and just everything about it. Really, really good book. Gosh, watch YouTube videos. There's an organization or a, a group on there. They're called Dirt, Dirt, Poor, Perma, Dirt Poor Permaculture. And they're <laughs> they're it. putting up some great how-to videos. So, you know, if you want to learn how to do different things, you know, whether it's growing strawberries and then how you propagate strawberries from your original plants, all that kind of thing. Schools, I would strongly encourage if you're really interested in this, get in touch with foodforestabundance.com because I know that they're trying to get funding for school gardens. This is you know kind of a new initiative, but they're really, really excited about it and getting corporations involved, all of that kind of thing. And if anybody might help in connecting with people there, you know, certainly reach out to me. Storywalkerwendy at gmail.com is one of my emails. You can reach me there. You know, just start experimenting. If you're interested, just start experimenting with a small garden project. You know, it's just a, you know, potting some strawberries or maybe it's planting a cherry sapling, a couple raspberry bushes, some rhubarb and some white clover and just kind of seeing how they, you know, how they all work together. 
and just you know observe these plants through the seasons and do a little more research and and just dive in dig into it little by little or dive in all together which would however you know it's comfortable for people to do it i'm so excited it's like i can't wait to get outside and clear out some more area and get ready for these plants that i've ordered on sale earlier this week free shipping and they'll come in pots so i'm really excited <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm excited too, just hearing about it. Thank you so much, Wendy, for sharing your insights. And we encourage everyone to figuratively and literally dig in with food forest gardening. You get down on your hands and knees to examine the thickness of the dove layer covering the ground. As you sift through the partially decomposed leaves, you find a tiny shoot that has been hidden behind a plum sapling. It's a red mulberry a species you hadn't planted. How did that get there? Talking with Green Teachers is co-hosted by Ian Shanahan and me, Sofia Vargasnesi. Ian is the show's writer and editor. Logo design is by Devin Terian. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or iTunes to get instant access to each new episode. If you really like the show, give us a rating too. We can also be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us in this episode. We'll chat again soon. There was one time when I forgot to record. So we had to record again. <laughs> so hopefully we won't have to do that. All right. So we will jump into it.